Good morning, everyone. Uh, do turn back to Romans 8. We're going to spend most of our time uh, in Romans um, chapter 8. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm James. I'm one of the, the elders, and fairly obviously now I'm going to be preaching and, and leading the rest of the, the service. So we've come to the end of our uh, vision series that we've used to kick off um, 2023. And we've been thinking about responding to Paul's command. It's the command behind me. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus from Philippians 2 verse 5. If you're familiar with that passage, Paul goes on to talk about the humility of Christ, how Christ humbled himself from the glories of heaven uh, to the agonies of, of the cross, dying in our place. But we've been thinking more generally not just about humility, but also how we should be like Christ. Um, so our mindset is not just our, our one of humility, but a mindset of being like um, Christ. As we've thought over the past few weeks, this seems like an impossibly high standard, perhaps even hopeless, perhaps even why should we try? But as we've seen, we are united with Christ. If we are Christians this morning, we are united with Christ. And one of the things that means is that we can become like him. We can become like him. Um, in the first sermon, which I think it was five weeks ago, Ben mentioned a book. Uh, I was very excited when he mentioned this book because I'd actually already read it. And it was called um, One with Christ, I think, um, by Rory Shiner. Um, and I will go back and read it again. But I remembered at that point an analogy uh, of what it is like um, to be united with Christ. Um, so let me add my commendation to that book. Um, but he, Rory Shiner gives us this analogy. Being united with Christ or being in Christ is a bit like taking a plane journey. I love planes. This is another reason that this analogy sort of appeals to me. I'd like you to imagine that you want to go to Bognor Regis. Um, I don't know why you'd want to go there, but imagine you do. Um, imagine you've also got a plane parked up at Oxford Airport. What relationship do you need with that plane in order to get to Bognor Regis? Well, you could try hanging on to the bottom of the plane. You could be under the plane's authority. Um, if you can hold on long enough, and someone else is flying it, it will get you there. But realistically, you probably can't hold on that, 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 that long. You wouldn't make it there. I should have chosen somewhere further away, but anyway. Um, the other, another option is you could follow the plane. Someone else could fly the plane, and you could follow the plane. The plane's in charge, the plane's got direction, or the, or the pilot has at least, but it's too far. You're not going to get there under your own steam. You know where this is going, don't you? If you want to get to Bognor Regis, you've got to be in the plane, inside that tube, or we'd normally say on the plane, but realistically, when you fly somewhere, you are in the plane. And what that means is, end of aviation excitement, what that means is, where the plane goes, you go. If you are in the plane, where the plane goes, you goes, you go. Being united with Christ, being in Christ, is a bit like that. What is true of Jesus is true of you. So Jesus is perfectly, immeasurably pure. God the Father sees you as perfect and immeasurably pure. Jesus is worthy of a glorious inheritance. So are we. Jesus is with the Father forever. So will we be. That's where the analogy breaks down, because he's already there and we're not there yet. But yeah, all analogies break down, don't they? Jesus is with the Father forever, so will, we, so will we be. And I think that's a helpful image for us as we come to our concluding uh, sermon in this series, and, because the title is The Path of Christlikeness, and the intention this morning is to encourage you for the journey, 
to encourage you for the journey. So we will not be Christ-like until we get to our destination. We've got a journey ahead. It's called life. Um, from 1 John 3 that was read for us, what we will be has not yet been made known. So what we will be, John's referring to, we will be like Christ, we will be like Jesus, we will get to our destination. But before that, there's a time where that is not made known. There is a time where we are not yet fully like him. So this morning, we are thinking about the journey, the path of Christ-likeness. And we're doing so under two headings. The first will be, uh, it's a hard path. And then the second will be, it's a hard path with a glorious destination. And before we dive in any further, I'd like to introduce two, um, I call them friends. They're, more, they're imaginary friends, two of my imaginary friends. The first is Frustrated Frank. Let me introduce Frustrated Frank to you. Frank is constantly tired from family commitments. I, I promise you he's not entirely based on, on, on myself. Um, Frank is, is very, very stressed. He, he can't stand his team at work. And on top of, of all the commitments at home, he finds his team demanding, childish, and pathetic. Frank has a weekly team meeting in which he's lost his rag far too many times. And, and Frank has tried praying before this meeting. But yeah, he knows every, every, every Friday as he goes into that team meeting, he knows it could be his last. He knows that his anger might boil over one more time. He knows that he might, might be dismissed. And, and he worries about what might happen if he was. It might mean he would lose his job. Sorry, being dismissed is losing a job. He, he would lose financial security. He would be embarrassed. Frank is in the thick of it. Frank knows that the path of Christ-likeness is a hard one. And if he's honest, he's tempted to give up. If he's honest, he's not, he feels like he's not seeing progress. Perhaps he even feels like those prayers are not answered and he's blown his top one too many times in that frustrating meeting. That was frustrated Frank. Next, meet struggling Steph. Steph is one of those people for whom everything seems to go wrong. She's a single mum, not through choice, and that brings to her financial, emotional, social pressure to every single day. She has very little flexibility or free time to serve the Lord. On top of all that, she's got chronic shoulder pain and she has to take drugs that make her mind foggy. That makes work hard, it makes parenting hard, it makes praying hard. So for Steph, life is only just bearable. She trusts the Lord, but if she's honest, she wrestles, and she wrestles with the fact that she sees others around her who have an easier ride, others with so few difficulties in comparison. She wonders where God is in all of her suffering. And, and people have told her that God works all things for good, but if she's honest, she can't see it. I'll bear those two characters in mind, um, we'll, we'll revisit them uh, later on. But under, our first heading is this, a hard Path. The path of Christ-likeness is a hard path. As God's children, we face all sorts of challenges and pressures. Firstly, and I'm mainly referring back to last week, I won't say too much on this. Firstly, we are foreigners and exiles in this world. That means if we follow Christ, we don't really belong here. As we follow Christ, we don't belong here. As we become more like Christ, there will be an increasing tension between us and those around us who are not Christians, who are not believers. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John says this, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world rejected Jesus, by and large, when he was here on, on, on the earth. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What does it mean to be known? Well, you probably have some people in your life who are not Christians who know you quite well. You may even have people you're very close to who are, who are not Christians, and that, that's great. But there is a sense in which they do not fully know you. They cannot fully understand you. You can tell them that living for Jesus is your top priority, but, but that jars. It doesn't quite click. They can't understand it. And over the years, over time, as that friendship progresses, you felt a loss of, of closeness as time after time you turned down invitation to spend time with that person in order to be free to love your Christian and brothers and sisters better. The world does not know us. For many of us, it will be that sort of loss of, of closeness, uh, perhaps a feeling that we don't belong and we aren't understood. For others, there will be more severe and intense opposition and persecution. But this is to be expected. The world did not know Jesus. It does not know us. We are foreigners and exiles, to pick up on, on the language Ben shared with us from um, 1 Peter last week. But secondly, we also, as believers, face the kind of suffering that everyone faces. And our kind of subheading here is creation groans. And we're in Romans chapter 8 now, in verse 22, where Paul says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Everything is under a curse. Everything is under a curse. Because of sin, God has subjected all things to death all things to decay. And we don't have to look very far to know that that is true. We see all around us disease, starvation, war, suffering, news headline after news headline. The world is not full of smiling people and smiling animals. And if you've read kids' books, that's what they try to portray. That's not what the world is like. Paul says creation groans. It doesn't grumble. It doesn't tut, it groans, as in the pains of childbirth. Creation longs for this to be over. It's painful, it's hard. The question it's asking is, when will this end? Now, of, of course, there are good gifts that God gives us. Graciously, God provides, as we've been thinking earlier, through He's kind to all of us. We all have food and warmth and clothing. We know something of God's generous gift, but yet we also know that we live in a broken world. The statistics are staggering. One in two of us will get cancer at some point in our lifetime. There will be earthquakes, again, that kill 40,000 people just like that. I could give you many more examples. Everything dies, everything decays. The ultimate statistic is that we will all die. Creation groans, and, and that is hard for Christians, just as it is for everyone else. We have to be honest about that pressure on our lives, that struggle. But thirdly, under this heading, Christians groan inwardly. There is a particular type of groaning that a Christian experiences. Uh, verse 23, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. For, the adopt, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
as Christians, we face the added frustration of waiting, of waiting to be finally adopted, finally redeemed. As we walk the path of Christ like this, as we wrestle with sin, don't we have a longing to be sinless? As we walk through this world aware, as we walk through life aware of our own weaknesses, don't we long for those to be removed from us? Perhaps you have a, a long-term or serious illness of some sort. Perhaps you struggle with your mind. Perhaps you're just a forgetful person or someone who's not very well disciplined and that just makes Christ like this really hard. Perhaps you need more sleep than other people so you just have less time than others around you. We are weak and we do life from a position of weakness and if we're honest, we long to be different. We also wrestle with the world around us and the brokenness around us. As we see things like natural disasters, don't we long to be home? Don't we long to be freed from all the things that go on around us that are not good? I think, quite frankly, sometimes we can just be a bit bewildered. Sometimes life throws everything at you and you can end up bewildered. And I think Paul anticipates that. In verse 26, he talks about a, a, a struggle to pray. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Do you, see, do you see what's going on there? Paul says that life is actually so confusing, we don't even know what to talk to the Lord about. We don't even know how to pray. We are so weak, so confused, so bewildered. We don't know what to pray for. Well, it's great that the Spirit helps us, but I'm just emphasizing at the moment that as part of our groaning, we have this weakness as we walk through life. Paul's choice of words is, is, is deliberate here. He uses the word groan deliberately. He says uh, there in verse 22 that we, creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Now, the, the groaning pains of childbirth have attached to them the hope of the arrival of a baby. As we groan, we also have hope, and we also wait patiently. But we groan. But we groan inwardly, Paul says. And so perhaps a question to ponder, do you know that it's okay to groan? It's okay to be frustrated? The, the path of Christ-likeness is, is hard. These are healthy and, and normal frustrations. I, I, I wonder if there is a temptation for us to kind of see Christian hope as a kind of grin and bear it. Yeah, we're happy because we know we're going to heaven. That's not at all biblical, actually. Paul here is talk, talking about groaning inwardly and having hope, all in the same sentences. They go together. You can't hope for something you don't already have. So inevitably, there is a groaning about something that you don't have yet and, and hoping for the time that, where you will have it. Do you know that it's okay to groan? The path of Christ like this is a hard path. But secondly, it's a hard path with a glorious destination. And we're going to spend most of the rest of our time in, in Romans 8, verse, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So firstly, who is this truth for? Who is this truth for? It's for those who, have been, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is not... In all things, God works for the good of everyone. This is exclusive to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
And those two phrases, those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose, are a beautiful description of what it is to be a Christian. A Christian is one who loves God. We love him because he first loved us. It's 1 John 4, 19. We've experienced great love to have been made his children. The Father has lavished his love on us to make us his children. 1 John 3, 1. God loves us, but we love him. We love him. We respond to his love with love. And we love him because he has called us according to his purpose. There is both mystery and certainty here. He has called us according to his purpose. We don't know why he calls us specifically, why each individual is called. And in many ways, we don't know what he has specifically called each one of us to. But he has called us, and he has called us to obedience. He's called us to become like Christ. That is his purpose. So this truth that God works all things for good is for Christians. But secondly, let me highlight that God works. God works all things for good. God is not passive. He's not absent. He's not disinterested. He works. And this is important because when life feels like a roller coaster, or perhaps even worse than a roller coaster, because most roller coasters, you can see them before you get on. You kind of know what you're in for. Um, there are some where you don't. I don't, don't recommend them. When life feels like a roller coaster that, and you can't see what's coming next, God is the one who lays the track and knows the track. He works. He is so powerful. That is what he can do for us. He can work in our lives. And God works for the good for the good. This is not whatever I imagine good to be. God works for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. His good is to fulfill his purposes for us. And that leads us into verse 29, which reads, for, or because, those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What good is God doing for for us? What work is he doing for us? He's making us like his son. He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's making us perfect. He's making us sinless. That is our glorious destination. To use The simple words from 1 John 3 verse 2, we know that when Christ appears or or when Christ returns, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. And both Paul and John write about this with certainty. It is certain that that God will achieve the good that he is working to do. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. And then skipping to verse 30, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You might set out to do something, even something simple, and you might get derailed at the the first hurdle. We're so weak, we can't do the things we set out to do. 
God is so different to us. He's so powerful. God can choose people in eternity and then see sorry, and then see through his purposes for them in time. God can choose people in eternity and then see through his purposes for them in time. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And that means this morning that if you have accepted Jesus' call, that you are justified. That is certain. It is unshakably true. It's certain in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to go back a few weeks and listen to the first of, of Ben's cream egg sermons on, on the resurrection, where he talks about how we, are cert- how we can be certain of our justification. If you have accepted Jesus' call, you are justified, you are made right with God. And then Paul says, if you are justified, you are glorified. Well, what does that mean? Well, to be glorified is to share in Christ's glory. It's to share in his inheritance. It's to be adopted as sons. It's to be given redeemed bodies. It's to be with Christ and with the Father and be made like Christ. And this is a really important phrase because Paul is referring to something that will happen as if it already has. And that means he's writing with certainty. If you are justified, you are glorified. Paul speaks with complete certainty. The good that God is setting out, or sorry, the good that God set out to do, he will bring to completion. God works for the good of those who love him to make them like his son. It's the same certainty. The way that John writes, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God is making you like his son. God will make you like his son. And he does this in all things. To go back to Romans 8:28, we know that in all things God works. It is through every circumstance, every challenge, every pressure, every weakness. All of the things that make the path hard are things that God is working in to make you like his son. God is making you like his son and he will make you like his son. He will finish that work. Now, we should expect some progress in the here and now. Uh, as I think the second sermon in this series, we looked at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, which says, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And there's that sense of that happening now, here and now, present tense. God is making us like his son, and it's happening now. But we should also expect setbacks. As we've thought we've got this inward groaning, we are, we are waiting to become what we will be. What we will be has not yet been made known, says 1 John 3 verse 2. And so now as we walk a hard path and as we wrestle with sin and as we face all sorts of challenges and as we don't necessarily respond to those challenges in the right way, yes, we will experience setbacks, but God is still working for the good of making us like his son. We will get there. We will face setbacks, but God is still working. We will get there. I wonder, is there something in your life where you're not sure what God is doing? 
I'm not going to exhaustive list, but perhaps you've got a, a hard relationship present or, or, or maybe past. Perhaps you have one of those particular weaknesses or, or tendencies or, or personality traits that just makes life really challenging. Perhaps you carry around the scars of the way you were once treated. Perhaps you struggle with a long-term physical or mental illness. Maybe it's all of the above, a cocktail of hard things. But God can, and God is, and God will work in you to make you like his son. In all things, Paul writes, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But I'd like to pick up on that little phrase, we know. And we know that in all things. Paul says this is something we know to be true. Now, I think there is a a kind of theological certainty to to this. Um, Christ, we are united with Christ. He's the one who has been uh, punished in our place. He's the one who has raised from the dead for our justification. There is a kind of certainty theologically, if I can put it like this. But I wonder if you struggle with that confidence You struggle with the confidence in the way that Paul writes. I wonder if you feel like this is the sort of thing you should feel, and you don't. Perhaps you don't feel like you know this. I'd like to encourage you not to walk away from this feeling like that. I suppose, firstly, this is a truth from God's Word. We know that He is working all things for this good. Maybe it would be useful to spend some time praying and reflecting. They may be distant. They may be hard to see, hidden by present darkness. But the Lord might bring to your mind times where you did know him working for good and where actually you could have more easily said, yes, I know this. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But I'd also like to say that we know this collectively. Collectively, we know this to be true. It wouldn't take you long to find someone else in this room who could share a brilliant story of how God has worked in their life for good. And I'm not thinking of something trite like, oh, I was going to miss the train and then the train was late, so I said, thank you, Lord. I mean, it's great when that happens, but talking about something really profound, God working through a a genuinely hard time, a circumstance that you would never choose for yourself or anyone else. But actually... Through that time, someone came to know that God was at work in their lives for the good. Let's return to frustrated Frank. In case you've forgotten, Frank has got no energy. He's got frustrations at work that he's not handling very well. Frank struggles with anger, and frankly, he's tempted to just give up. Give up his job, give up walking with the Lord. He's blown it once too many times. He thinks he should give up on everything. For Frank, the path is hard, and and the path may be so hard for him, and you might feel like this in some way. The path may be so hard that you can't see progress. Frank needs to know that it's okay to groan. It's okay to groan inwardly, to be frustrated at the state of his heart. That's okay. That is a good and and a right frustration. And Frank also needs the encouragement from this passage that his destination is secure. God will make him like his son, however impossible that might seem at the present time. I think Frank probably also needs a rebuke. 
there is a certain pride in giving up on the Lord. We often think of pride as saying, oh, it's fine, I, I know what I'm doing, I can do things my own way. And it, it's not very obvious, the connection here, but it is proud to tell the Lord that he can't change you and to give up on him. That, that is a very dangerous type of pride. I remember the first time um, that I actually kind of realized that. Um, I'm going to go back about maybe eight or ten, maybe not ten years, eight, something like eight years ago, there was a, a Christian women's conference that I wasn't at, but some of you were. It, I think, it, anyway, I don't, don't need any more details, but I remember Alice coming home and, and talking about what the speaker had said and just saying, actually, you know, if you, if you, if you say to the Lord, I can't change, that, that is, that's pride and that's really dangerous. Maybe that's obvious to you, but it wasn't obvious to me, so maybe that's helpful to someone. Maybe Frank needs to be told not to give up. What about struggling Steph? She was a, a lady who seemed to have everything in life thrown at her. And one of those people who you just wonder, how, how, how are they even surviving? But actually those around Steph see the fruit of her struggles. Those around Steph see her as the most patient person they've ever met. She's joyful and, and persevering. And those around Steph see the way that other people are, are, are drawn to her. Steph's one of those magnets who is always bringing people to church. Maybe Steph needs encouraging with the truth from this passage. That however hard the journey is, her destination is secure. So, see, the good that God is doing in her life might be hard for her to see, but it doesn't mean it's not there. It is happening, and ultimately it will be completed. The path of Christ-likeness is hard, but it has a glorious destination. As we draw to a close, I'm going to share some lyrics from Christian singer-songwriters Shane and, and Shane. I think it's a fairly recent song. Some of you may have heard it. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing. But I know what you've done. And they're great words because they express the, that sense of frustration and groaning that we can have with life. I don't know what you're doing. And now we'll grant them some artistic license because Paul says here that we know in all things God works for the good. But there are times when we don't feel that. I don't know what you're doing. God is always doing something, but we might question that as we groan inwardly. So their, their lyrics express frustration, but they also express certainty. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. See, because we are united with Jesus, we can fight against sin, we can do battle, and we will overcome. God is at work making us more like his son.
doing that now, and he will complete it. He will make you like his son. That song goes on to and end with these words, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. It's our glorious destination. And as 1 John 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let me pray, and then we're going to join our voices together in song. Father God, we thank you that you are powerful. We thank you that you are at work. We thank you that you are, good, uh, you are good and you are doing good in each of us who knows you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, would you encourage us with this, with the truth of that, that, that you are making us like your son? Lord, perhaps where our, our own progress, our, our battle perhaps with a particular sin, a particular temptation is just so <coughs> discouraging, Lord, would you encourage us with these truths? Would you help us to keep going? Lord, when life throws hard things at us that we don't understand and, and added to that we don't respond well either, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you help us to, to see, even if we can't see what you're doing now, would we, would we see what you have done for us in Christ? And would you give us that faith to keep going? <laughs> Father, encourage us on the hard path Christ-likeness, we ask, and help us to encourage one another as well. For your name's sake, amen.